What's up guys? Welcome back to another episode of Where Optimal Meets Practical, where we talk all things training, nutrition, and mindset optimization, while making sure to not lose sight of the practical and applicable side of things. I'm your host, Jordan Lips, and I just wanted to say thank you for taking time out of your day to tune in. I appreciate you. So without further ado, let's get into the episode. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the show. Today I have with me Cody Boom Boom McBroom. He's a coach, entrepreneur, business owner, and definitely something I somebody I've looked up to in the industry, even as a peer. Um, just somebody I know that's out there doing it right, like looking to to use evidence-based practices and you know not sell people bullshit. And in a world where we're just laden with charlatans, he's definitely one of the good guys. So it's a pleasure to have you with us, man. Yeah, man. Thank you. I appreciate that because. You know, anytime somebody notices that I'm being that way, it makes me happy, you know, because like number one rule for me is authenticity. And and I always try to make sure that, you know, what you see on Instagram or here on the podcast, like that's, that's me, you know what I mean? And I'm not going to, like you said, sell you bullshit. And, and it's a lot in this industry, like it's common. So, <laughs> so we're outliers for sure. It's, it's, uh, a lot of people say that the coaching business is saturated and, Jordan Syed is a, a friend and he has always said to us uh, in his mentorship group, he's like, it's saturated with, with people selling bullshit. So you, all you have to yeah. do is actually give a shit and you're going to stand out. So definitely something that resonates and, and permeates from your content. So definitely somebody, if you guys don't follow Cody to absolutely give him a follow. Um, and we'll go over all that stuff later, but I'm curious, two things before we jump in is one, where did boom, boom come from? Obviously I can guess, but where did that originate? And two, just give us a little backstory about how you got into fitness and how you got into coaching. Yeah. So the nickname is not as uh, weird or exciting as you think it would be. Um, obviously it's a pun on my last name, but it happened in high school soccer actually. So uh, soccer is the only sport I ever played besides like skateboarding and stuff Same. like that. And uh, my brother, Vinny, my older brother, he was obviously older. So he was on the team before me and we went to the same high school. And he was Vinny Boom Boom McBroom. Like for whatever reason, the announcer just randomly called him that one day when he was like dribbling the ball and and there you go. And then when I got to my freshman year and made varsity, he was a junior and I was a freshman. So we played together. And uh, and then it was like the Boom Boom Brothers essentially, which was really, it was actually pretty cool. Like, you know, I was center mid, he was a striker. So it was just like a cool dynamic. Um, and that's actually like, so, so the name just stuck. Like it actually like went away. And then years later, somebody at the gym that I was working at called me Cody boom, boom, McBroom. And I like kind of looked at him funny, like, how the fuck did you hear that? <laughs> and they were like, I don't know. It just came out. And I was like, man, that used to be my nickname in high school. And then I changed my Facebook name and then the rest is history. But, um, that's actually kind of the same lines as, is how I got into all this too. So played soccer and my junior year. Yeah. Junior year. I tore my meniscus, um, complete reconstruction surgery, uh, gained. I was always like a little bit heavier. Like when I was really young, I was a really chubby kid. And then I like kind of lost weight as I got like middle school and started playing sports, you know? And then this happened I gained a solid 20 pounds when I'm on crutches. I'm, I, I didn't lift weights. So it was like soccer. It was my only activity. And then, um, senior year I came back, started kind of shedding the pounds, got captain of the team. And then literally preseason games tore my ACL, no. the same knee. So senior year that happened, gained more weight. And then I graduated. So it was like, okay, I'm graduating. I'm not going to go play college soccer. Um, I'm, I ended up going to community college for business just because my dad is in sales and oil, the oil industry. And his thing was always, everybody needs oil. So here's what you're going to do. And I was like, well, I can't argue because I have no ambition or ideas in my head of what to do. 
And uh, all my friends went and played college ball. So it was like, I'm back home partying, chilling, getting fat. And it was just like probably a solid, you know, six months after school that I was like at my lowest low of just unmotivated, not happy, hated the way I looked, was getting really out of shape and just sweating too often for an 18 year old dude. <laughs> Exhausted going and, up uh, the stairs. Exactly, man. So, uh, and it's actually funny cause I, wa- I used to walk to college cause I lived like right next to this college I went to and it was up this huge hill. And I remember every day getting to class, like I'm sweating my ass off. But, uh, but I just, dude, one day I literally like, and it sounds so weird when I say this, but I literally got a shot. I looked at myself butt ass naked in the mirror and just said, what the fuck? I was like, what are you doing, man? Like you're young, you have all your, your life to go. You have all the potential. Like, why are you wasting time? Um, and I literally went fucking cold Turkey. Dude. <laughs> like I just was like, I'm not going to go partying all the time. Like I'll go hang out with friends on the weekends, but during the week, I'm just going to, I'm going to work out. I'm going to eat better. And I just started making simple changes, man. I, I literally started eating special K cereal with nonfat milk instead of 2% with fruit, fruit loops. You know what I mean? Like I started drinking diet Mountain Dew instead of Mountain Dew, like little stuff. Yeah. I was 18. What did you know? I mean, were you, did you have any background? Nothing. Bodybuilding magazines, forums, uh, stuff Never, like that? Dude. Nothing. So like at that time, it literally, and the pounds, like, I mean, Technically, I created a calorie deficit by just trying to choose healthy foods, but um, I just started shedding weight, man. And so at that time, like boot camps and functional fitness was like really, really popular. So it was like high intensity stuff and bouncing on BOSU balls for everything. So I basically just jumped right in and started doing these like boot camp classes. I was like, I need to figure out something. Started losing weight pretty rapidly. And then, um, and then I started like seeing other people at the gym and it was like, like, I don't want to be skinny. Like I want to be Jack. So that's when I picked up a bodybuilding magazine. I started going and going that route, but essentially this journey took me, man. I lost like, honestly, between 50 and 60 pounds total. If we, if we think of like the whole weight loss, which is pretty crazy and lost that weight and then started gaining weight to build muscle. So it was like this huge transformation. And during that process, I basically was like, this is what I want to do forever. Like, this is just, I love this. So I found a program at the school and the guy who ran it knew everybody. I mean, he coached some pro NFL. He coached Olympic swimmers. He's friends with uh, Dan John, Michael Boyle, Charlie Weingroff, like all the classic people that were like starting Mm -hmm. the textbooks and shit like that back in the day. Um, All the FMS guys. uh, So great cook. It's just everybody. And I, I basically just latched onto him and I actually started skipping class and attending his classes because I was just interested because my dad wouldn't change my degree because he was like, oil, you've been training for three months. What do you like? What get out of here? So I actually forged his signature and changed it. Cause I was like, I, I got to do this. And, uh, and then I just dove in, man. And it was like, training was my first love before nutrition. And I just dove head first into it, ended up getting an internship and then another internship worked at the second one for six years as a trainer while writing blogs every week, posting on Instagram, posting on Facebook, um, YouTube, do like doing anything I could. I did a bodybuilding show. I went to seminars and workshops as often as I could. Um, got a ton of certifications. So it was just really like six years of just, just not even caring about how much money I make and just putting myself in the grind of education. And then at about six and a half years in of working at that place, I found out I was going to have a daughter. And that's when I was like, I need to make a move to this online business that I've, I've had a dream about since I, I mean, I even mentioned it in my interview for the internship when I was 19 years old. So it, it was just something I was like, I got to do this. So I actually quit, gave up all my clients and went all in on my, on my business. And that's where like the evolution of like boom, boom, format started a few years ago. And it just kind of has catapulted since then. That's awesome, dude. I'm definitely also, yeah, I'd say almost still currently in that transition into the online space. 
coming from a what I'll you know humbly say is a very successful in-person business, monetarily speaking, um, but not from an impact perspective, um, not the the fulfillment and the the impact on society and the impact on people's lives that I wanted to have. It was just a little bit of checking a box. People would come in, they want to exercise, and and that's totally fine. I'm not an exercise elitist, or everyone needs to be on a you know a perfect program tracking every single metric, like but. The more I learned, the more I wanted to do more. And and like yeah. you, I started off just doing it. I was just a doer. Read every book, tried to get every cert, watched every YouTube video, started producing some content. And the more I learned, the, the more I wanted to impact more. So I, in the last year, I've definitely moved like 90, 95%, gave up a ton of clientele in person and have honestly never been happier. So I definitely resonate with that story. I also played center mid also. So probably gonna have to oh. take a ball around at some point. And, that's, uh, that's funny. Yeah, so that's cool. So. Um, so today, mostly what I wanted to chat about is, is I asked some people what you and I should discuss. And a couple of people actually said set, how to set the right goals, uh, when it comes to a fitness journey and phrasing it that way, the first thing we have to talk about is like, what is the right goal? Um, there are so many different types of goals. There's long-term goals, there's short-term goals, there's outcome goals, there's process goals, there's, you know, a weight number on the scale goal versus like a metric based lift, like a performance goal. So when it comes to beginning a fitness journey in a general sense, just to frame the conversation, like how important do you think it is to have a goal in mind? And then we can talk a little bit about how specific you think those goals can slash should be in, I guess, listen, at the end of the day, it's going to be circumstantial to the person, but when it comes to setting goals, how important do you think that is and how specific do you think people should get? You know, you know, I, I take a different approach with this and, and I have a, like a group of guys that I mentor and, and for them, when we set goals, it's in every area of their life. So we're talking their selves personally, emotionally, spiritually, mentally, like, like you, you as a person, like outside of fitness, outside of relationships, just you. And then there's your relationship goals and then there's your business goals and then there's your health and fitness goals. And I think first we distribute those kind of separately because we have to decide like, okay, how are we going to set a goal? Well, what are we even setting a goal in? Right. And I think ultimately what I try to find out for people is what do you want? Like, what do you actually want? And I think people hear that question. And it's like, well, what do you mean what I want? It's a very simple question, but like really sit there and dig deep and like, what do you want? Like, how do you want to feel? What do you want to achieve? Who do you want to be? Like, what is the best version of yourself? Like, what does that person look like? And what the fuck do they do every single day to be there? So I think for me, it, it's, it's really trying to get the feeling from people first, because I mean, you know, this dude, like people will come to you for weight loss and they're like, oh, I want to lose 20 pounds. Well, why? Oh, I just want to lose 20 pounds. And you ask why, 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 why? Until they're like, you know what? My husband doesn't look at me the same anymore. And, and, it, and I have an insecurity around it. It's like, there we go. So you don't give a shit about the scale. You want your husband to look at you differently. Well, fitness is not the only thing that's going to help you with that. Like you got to be a, a, a more spiritual and, and connected person with them. You have to be uh, more positive. You have to appreciate like, let's, let's go deeper on this. And I think ultimately, even if I get to that point and I don't help people with their relationship, but if they have the feeling attached to the outcome, now all of a sudden all the work that needs to happen in order to get there is way easier. So I think for anybody listening who wants to know, like, how do I set goals? First, ask yourself, what do you like? What's the feeling you're after? So, you know, for me, I, I've gone a million different ways with my goals over the years. And in the kind of way I do it is like, okay, wh what is the feeling I'm after? You know, and, and part of that for me is actually a legacy. Like I don't care about how much money I make. I don't care about how many clients are on my roster. Like I care about the the impact or the footprint that I leave on the industry more than anything. 
And I think that helps me with my trajectory because I know my purpose and that's going to fuel everything financial coaching wise, education wise, my team, my leadership, because I have that, that in the back of my head, but I also go, okay, if that's what I want to achieve, what does the Cody 10 years from now who already has built that legacy, who is well-known and is a leader in the industry and who has the money, the lifestyle, the family, the fitness, the body, the team, like every aspect, that version of Cody, what does he do? Like, what does he act like? Who does he hang out with? What events is he going to, you know? And, and I started really kind of essentially asking myself, who do I want to become? And then you reverse engineer for that. Right? So if I want to achieve this feeling, I know I'm way up here in the future, but I'm down here right now. I reverse engineer that process, right? Until I get to the point where like, okay, right now I have to start changing my daily habits because the Cody up there meditates every day. He journals every day. He appreciates his wife every day. He works out no matter what, whether it's mobility or walking, he's active. He, he follows his diet. He gets enough sleep. Like I think about all these things and I'm like, okay, now I have motive to do the daily simple things that are going to get me there. Um, but I think ultimately, and I know it's kind of a rant. So if you want to like, steer me in any direction we can, but I think ultimately it comes down to what is the feeling you are after? Like, what is the burning like passion inside of you? What's the desire? Um, and you sometimes have to get kind of emotional with it. And then from there we can ask like, okay, well the best version of you, what does that person look like? So now we have clarity on what we want on who we want to become. And then we just lay out the path of how we need to get there. And that might be a three month outcome that we set like a 90 day target. It could be a three year. Um, and you can kind of, the way I do it is, is, uh, reverse engineer in those 90 day blocks anyway. So I'll ask a client, like, where do you want to be in three years? Perfect. That means you should probably be here in a year, right? Yeah. Okay. That's a good target. Where do we want to be in 90 days? Because we're going to have three or four quarters this year. And we have to set a goal for each quarter. And we have to have, once we have that quarter goal, we'll have like 30 day benchmarks for each month. Then we'll have weekly targets and then we'll have daily habits. And it's like, literally going from three years to a daily habit is kind of crazy for some people. But if you map this out, like I'll do it on a huge whiteboard and it makes you have so much clarity on, on where you're going that the path to get there is 10 times easier. For sure. I loved every bit of that and definitely uh, welcome to rant whenever you want. Um, <laughs> it, that, that concept of taking a, a big goal and breaking it down from all the way to the, what am I doing right now in the next, in the next half hour, all the way down to what am I doing on a daily basis? makes a ton of sense. I think a lot of people hear that and they they think it sounds really great, but they're not actually, like you said, I think a lot of people are going to hear that and they're like, yep, I understand that concept. I know that if I want to lose X amount of pounds or fit into this or feel this way, like you said, where it's more of like, I'm, I'm looking for to feel a certain way that I understand the concept of breaking it down into smaller bites and to like small compounding steps is important why does nobody actually do that? And then what might that actually look like with somebody's health and fitness journey? Like one singular goal, if we could break that down. Yeah. I think that, I think the reason people don't do it is because one, it's tedious. Like if you really yep. break down a goal, it takes time. Um, two, sometimes it makes people realize how long it's going to take to get where they want to be. Yep. You know, I, th I thought about this the other day. I, in September, yeah, maybe even this month, either this month or September, it will be 10 years of me training literally every single week. Like, so, so think about that. Like people are like, ask me questions about even like when I get like ripped up for a photo shoot, it's like, this is literally 10 years of like, just trying to get bigger and then get lean, get bigger and then get lean as a natural. It, it really does take that long to get there. So I think that, you know, 
sometimes it can scare people because I'm like, oh, well, you know, this is going to take this longer. Like, oh, perfect. That's a great goal. So if we spend a year doing these things, they're like, whoa, 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 a year. And I'm like, technically a year is, I think it's like 1.5% of the average lifespan. Like if you actually boil it down, it's like 1.5% of your life to figure out how to sustain this for life. Like you're not willing to commit to that. So um, sometimes it just scares people because there's a time thing, right? The other side of it is I think a lot of people do not consider hiring coaches or mentors in this world. You know, it's, it's like you mentioned, you have a, a mentor and, and I'm actually really good friends with him. I was actually just talking to him on the phone yesterday, but he, uh, he's, he's a really good example of this too. And I think like having somebody that is kind of leading you down the path or at least correcting you when you need correcting, giving feedback when you need feedback or like pushing you to set bigger targets. Cause I know plenty of times I've worked with coaches where I'm like, all right, here's my goal. And they're like, dude, you're shooting way too low. Like, come on up the ante. And I'm like, man, that makes me nervous. And they're like, good. Your goals should make you nervous. Um, which is another good point. But I think that, you know, having somebody lay it out is really helpful because they can help you see what you can't see. And it's, and it's the same thing with it's It's why I still have a coach right now. Um, I've had a, I've had a coach in my corner in like the life slash business realm for the last four years straight, like nonstop, like different coaches. But like, if, if I finish with one coach, I'm right. I'm working with the next one. Right. Like, because I think that you need that guidance and that perspective from an external source to, to create clarity and give you better ideas of how to do it. Cause an outside perspective can always see in better than you can when you're actually in the business or the life or the goal, fitness or whatever. Um, but how can people boil it down to that daily thing? I think it, it really is hard for, for me to say without like a whiteboard and without take asking somebody questions, like, like me taking you through goal setting right now. Like, what is your goal? Where do you want to go? And us spending an hour going every step of the way. But I think ultimately again, writing out, okay, what's the why behind it? Who, what's the ultimate version of you look like? And then what is, what is the like short-term goal that we need to get to be on the trajectory of that? And that's the 90 day target. And when we're at a 90 day target, it's pretty simple. So like if somebody's like, okay, my 90 day goal is to lose 12 pounds. That's one pound a week, 12 pounds by the end of 90 days, right? 12 weeks. I'm like, okay, cool. So let's divide that by three because then we know each month where you need to be at. Now we get to month one at the end and you're not on your target. Maybe you, you needed one more pound to lose. Well, that just ups the ante for day 30 to 60. But if we didn't have that goal and those benchmarks, we wouldn't have been able to check or assess that we weren't on target or aligned with the end goal. And now we can course correct, adjust and and keep moving. Right. Um, and then we can boil that down in weeks. Okay. Well, if you want to achieve that goal by the end of this month, what do you need to improve this week? Give me four things. And it's like, okay, well, I need to drink more water because I never do. I need to make sure I hit my 10K steps. Um, I got to hit my macros on target every day. And I got to make sure that I hit my four lifting sessions. Perfect. You're going to track those things. We're going to do those things. Now on a daily basis, what do you need to do to make those things easier? Well, you know, I should probably journal because affirmations help me stay motivated. I should probably meditate because it keeps my stress lower. Like, and now they're laying things out. I need to plan my diet. I need to do this. I need to set a time for the gym. And it's like, okay, perfect. Now just do those things every day and review that checklist every single morning. So you know exactly what you need to do. And those goals are going to be really easy to hit. But I think a lot of people don't, they just think like, okay, well, I'm going to get in a deficit and I'm going to lose weight. It's like, you can do it that way. But for a lot of people, that's tough. Like track all these things, track these things, use metrics. Like you mentioned, like that's one of the reasons why you wanted to kind of shift gears and go more online. And, and I a hundred percent agree. I, I, me and Sam were talking about this yesterday. I love tracking like 
I track, uh, like my appreciation notes, like, like me texting my wife that I love her. Like I track that I track, um, connecting with a friend every day. So like, okay, I texted her now, who else am I going to connect with? Track that track, my fitness, track my macros. I track my journaling. I track my meditation. I track my, uh, we call it discover and declare. So it's like, what did you learn today? Discover. And what did you create today? That's declare. And when I track these things, my daily habits are on point because I know that the version of myself is at that level. And even in my fitness, I think of the same thing. It's like, okay, what, what do I want to create? And, and this is even crazy. Like at the beginning of the year, I kind of did this and I was like, you know what? I know exactly what I want to create um, as far as my physique goes. And it's going to take me a while because I've been lifting for a decade. I'm not going to build muscle fast. So I paid for a year in full with a coach. And I said, dude, I'll do whatever you say. I want to build as much muscle as possible. And then I want to do a cut. And we've been at it for this whole year. And I was trying to gain a little bit before that. So it's been like eight months of just in a surplus trying to build muscle. And now we're going to start a cut in a few weeks. And I'm going to go through that whole process of a year because I, I had so much clarity on what I wanted. It was easy for me to commit to that. Um, and it doesn't mean everybody's goal is going to take a year because obviously for me to be like, okay, like, you know, I want to build 10 plus pounds of muscle and then get shredded. Like it's going to take a long time, but, um, but does that answer the question? I think in general, it's just kind of like, really it's, it's easier with a coach in front of you, but I think ultimately it just boils down to figuring out, like I said, end goal, 90 day target, monthly benchmarks, weekly keys, and then daily tasks. Yeah, that, that's awesome. I think there's, I think you hit on something right, right in the beginning and you were like, it's, it causes this recognition of how long something's going to take, but this is literally the concept of the post I made yesterday is like, when you look at like the long way and it, and you write it out and you're like, oh my God, this is going to take two years. It's going to take a year. It's going to take six months. It's going to take three years, relatively speaking, whatever the goal is. It feels like a long time, but if you mm -hmm. look at all the time you've spent not doing that thing or going the opposite direction, if we're looking at fat gain, fat loss, like the amount of time it would take you to write the ship, to do it the right way, do it, to do it the long way is actually the short way. I mean, if you actually take this long goal that you have, long goal, and you break it down all the way to daily tasks, it might seem overwhelming from a time perspective, but if you if you put that up against the amount of time you've spent not doing that and not acting and moving in the opposite direction, it is the short way. And you might look at that and be like, nah, this guy's selling detox tea and keto sounds awesome and, and, these, de and these, these, these detours, these shortcuts, seem really great. But when it comes down to it, you're going to do years of shortcuts because they're going to recoil and rebound on you instead of yep. just taking the long way once. And I also think that there's something to be said about like, so you'll say something like, hey, we're going to take this big goal. We're going to break it down into, you know, three month blocks all the way down to daily habits. Man, if you actually do that, and I think this is where some of the fear comes from. If you actually do that, there's no more excuse for you to not act. Like you break it down into a bite-sized piece like that, you take away people's excuses. And when you take yeah. away people's excuses, I think that makes people nervous. So if, if you wanted to do this exercise, if anybody listening heard you talk about that exercise on the whiteboard and breaking down your big goal to little goals, it makes people nervous, it makes them uncomfortable because they know that that's exactly what they have to do. It makes them scared. It's like, you're, it's like anything in your life that you're scared of doing that you know you should do. This is that thing because if you actually do it, then there's no more, there's nothing standing in your way between you know, you and that goal, because it's not that goal anymore. It's meditating 10 minutes. It's not, you know, building a, a seven figure business. It's, you know, writing on Instagram every day. It's, yeah. it's no, it, there's no, it, you break down that barrier and you take away people's excuses when you do that. And I think uh, that is the job of a, that is part of the job of a coach is to help walk people through that. Because when they do that, now there's no, nothing left in front of them, no excuses left for them to not act 
and you make it really tangible, really attainable when you make it like, hey, we're going to count calories and protein and you're going to lift four times a week and you're going to get AK steps and that's all you're going to do. And you're not going to focus on the noise and you're not going to focus on what Susan's doing. You're not going to focus on uh, yeah. what so-and-so is saying on Instagram. And what you can do is you block out all of that and you break it down into these daily or weekly habits. You remove that barrier for people and, and people are now free to act. And honestly, that freedom to act makes people uncomfortable because now they have to actually do something. Yeah. Um, I, I always sure. tell people too, like nobody ever regretted being consistent or patient. Like ask anybody who's been super patient and consistent if they regretted it. The answer is never because it leads to results. So I think, yes, starting it is the hardest part. Um, Andy Frisella has a, a little like line that I actually just learned yesterday, but I fucking love it. And it's, uh, he says, aggressively patient. Mm -hmm. And it's like, yep, kind of an oxymoron. But mm -hmm. like, at the same time, it's like, man, like you're being aggressive with your daily actions and who you need to become, but you're patient as hell and you will do it for as long as you can. I mean, I, the reason we were talking about this is because somebody was asking, somebody sent in a question for our podcast and was asking about like my history of, of like where, like when I decided I want to do what I did when I was uh, 18 years old, I was following people like Jay Ferugia, Nate Green, John Brardy, and they were doing this online thing. And that's when I made a decision. Like I'm going to create a website that does something in fitness and it's going to, that's going to be where I make my money. And I even said it in the internship interview right after I turned 19. Actually, I was still 18 when I got the internship, but I turned 19 during the internship. And I told him that was my plan. And I was 18 as a decade ago, you know, and now what do I do? I literally do the exact same thing because I was aggressively patient. Like I was like, this is what I need to do. And the guy even said, he was like, train people every single day for, for five years. And I think you'll have the right to do that online. So I was like, okay, cool. Six done. and a half years. You know what I mean? Done. Like, um, and don't get me wrong. Like that, that's tough. Like even for me, you know, especially as a, as a young trainer, I was like, fuck man, I just like, I want it now. And there was plenty of times where my mentor had to check me and be like, dude, slow down calm down. Like it's a long journey. Um, but I've never regretted that. And I think for people listening, that's the big key is like, you'll never regret being patient or consistent. You won't because it always works. For sure. I, and aggressively patient is like, I, I always kind of in my brain automatically translate that almost to like pridefully patient, like taking pride and having that be something that yeah. you have like this, this aggression is a good word, but this like, you want to attack that patience and it's, it's an oxymoron, but it's like having pride in how patient you're being and having that be something that you're excited about. And I, I love that. Andy's the man, obviously. And that's a, that's something that I definitely want to like permeate with my coaching and, and my message and, and all, a lot of that all the way down to my yeah. clients for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So, so every time you're onboarding a client, it's almost, it's a 99% fact that you're going to get somebody who either has an exact number that they want to lose or an exact number they want to be. And yeah. I think that part of being coaches, like we talked about, is redirecting them from that and making them realize that that's not actually what they want. But outside of like breaking it down to like, okay, this is the feeling that I'm looking for and these are the things I want to accomplish and maybe weight loss is one of those things. Like how do you talk somebody who's vehemently attached to a number into maybe pivoting towards potentially something like a performance goal or, 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 habits or habit tracking or, you know, what does that conversation sound like? I think that, you know, the first, the first step is obviously, like I said before, why, why do you want to hit that number? And then when you hear that, like, okay, so like w when you weigh that much, what do you look like? Like, what do you see in the mirror? And they'll let you know. It's like, okay, cool. Like, how does that make you feel? It feels really good. So, so you like looking in the mirror and seeing that more than you like looking at scale, right? Okay. So what if I could give you that look and that feeling without the number on the scale matching nine times out of 10 people are like, well, of course, like, 
but they don't believe that that can happen. But you need to get that assurance from first. And it's like, okay, well, you just told me that you don't give a shit about this number on scale as long as you see what you want to see in the mirror. And then I can start moving in that direction. Because what I like to explain to people is, you know, if we do focus on setting targets with habits and with performance and with those kind of things, it's just more sustainable. Like you are way more likely to get to the end result with less stress because you're not so focused on the number on the scale and becoming almost OCD about your weight. Um, and it creates a negative relationship with your body. And I think like teaching people and showing them examples of, of how that could be. And, and I mean, I've even been through that when I did my bodybuilding show and, and rebounding after that, like I've been there, I get it. Like, but this is where that's going to lead you and, and take it from somebody who's been doing this for 10 years. Like I'm telling you that that is not going to work very long. And so, you know, there's another way of approaching it too, like kind of associating pain and pleasure. And, and that's a really good way to get people committed to those things that they want to do. And, and essentially what I mean by that, and, and this is kind of like something I do at the beginning of goal setting almost with everybody, but like, if somebody wants, you know, if you're, if you're in a position right now where you are overweight and you're not happy where you're at, but you want to lose weight. Okay. So is the pain of training and meal prepping worth the pleasure of losing that weight and loving what you see, or is the pleasure of not working out, eating whatever the hell you want and being kind of lazy worth the pain of seeing that in the mirror. And when you associate these things with people and you tell them like, there's always going to be a pain or a sacrifice with every pleasure you create, but now they can kind of weigh out the benefits. Well, like what pleasure is better being lazy and, and kind of lounging and eat whatever I want or looking at myself and loving what I see. And when you see that it helps so much. And it's funny. I always, I always say this to my wife as kind of like a joke, but she'll, I mean, she can, she can, I grew up a fat kid. She didn't, so she can eat whatever she wants and she's fine, but she'll have like Ben and Jerry's every once in a while. And she's like, how do you just watch me eat this? And like, you're content with your like protein ice cream or whatever. And I was like, Oh, I like abs better than ice cream. And like kind of joke with her, but to an extent, like that's, that's really what it is because I associate, you know, like, well, the pleasure of me eating Ben and Jerry's isn't as good as the pleasure of me loving what I see in the mirror and feeling good in the gym and being strong. Like, it's just not. So when you associate those things, your why is deeper and it just becomes easier to attack those targets. Um, if that makes sense. But I think in general, it really just like when somebody's at that beginning stage, it's like, okay, like really defining why we always used to call it peeling the onion when I was a personal trainer. It's like, peel the onion until you really figure out why they want that because you can create that feeling in a more sustainable way and you just need to educate them on how that looks. Mm -hmm, for sure. I think uh, like a, a scenario that's fairly common, I'm going to ask you kind of how you would handle it is how often do you get a client who wants to lose a bit of fat or they want, they're coming to you in a, in a, in a situation in a feeling of like, okay, I want to cut. The first step is fat loss. Like I want fat loss. I want to be toned, whatever the verbiage that they're using. And you know, maybe they have a, a, a number in mind, maybe they don't, and maybe you t you walk them off of that number and psychologically attach them to a look and a feeling instead of a number, which is great. I think that's definitely the first step. How often do you have somebody who who is potentially uh, weighing too heavily the fat loss side of things, and, and maybe they get to a point where they cut, they do a cut, and they're like, oh man, like I'm at the number I, I thought I wanted to be at, and I lost the amount of weight I wanted to lose, but this isn't what I thought it would look like. And, and what are, and what is like the very, like the, your go-to thought process or discussion that you're going to have with this person? You need to build more muscle. Like I actually have this yeah. conversation with a lot of people and, and I try to, I try to put that into their mindset before, cause this is actually what happened to me. Like I lost a ton of weight and I was doing all those boot camps, high intensity stuff. 
I wasn't paying attention to protein intake. I wasn't really lifting weights. I was just doing fast, high intensity circuits and um, eating lower calorie foods that would say low calorie. On the okay. Like yeah. Kinda, yeah. yeah that's <laughs> kind of how okay. I looked at it. Yeah. This is healthy on the marketing. And, uh, and I lost a bunch of weight, but I remember getting to a point where I was like, people were like, man, you lost so much weight. You look good. But when I took on my shirt, I was like, I look skinny fat like this. This is not what I thought I was going to look like. I thought I was going to look like that dude on men's health. Right. Like, and, uh, and I was like, what am I doing wrong? And I actually remember it's like, this is funny side note. I remember the movie I was watching that made it like click with me. And it was, uh, the fighter, I think it's called with Mark Wahlberg. Have you ever seen that movie? I haven't, but uh, I know the movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, Christian Bale's like a, a crackhead, but he's like a coach for his brother who's a fighter. Oh, I have like, seen this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, okay. Mark Wahlberg's like, there's a scene, he's like running down the alley and he yep. like jumps up on a bar and does like windshield wipers and he's like all ripped up. And I remember being like, there's no way in hell I could ever do that. Right. But I want to. And that's what, when I was like, what does he do? And I actually looked up, like, what does Mark Wahlberg and he lifts weight? And I was like, all right, I need to start like looking into this and thinking more. Um, it's funny that Marky Mark kind of triggered that, but um, I, I essentially started lifting weights and that's when I started gaining weight. And then I was like, whoa, this is weird. I'm looking leaner, but I'm gaining weight. Like what's going on here? And, and the reality is I was building muscle, right? Um, at that point I was a beginner. So I was probably actual recomping, like literally burning fat at building muscle, which didn't last too long. But even after that, like when I just put on more muscle, I looked leaner every time I dieted um, and it'd be at a heavier weight. And I think like women need to understand that they're in that same position as well. I'm not just speaking to guys here, but I use that as an example when I tell them like, Hey, I, I did the same thing. And I try to try to preframe it at the beginning. Like, Hey, like, let me educate you on why building muscles. And so is so important and why you might see less weight loss, like as rapid, but you'll look better at the end. Um, and let me explain to the women that you're not going to get jacked. Like, it's just not going to happen. And, the, and I always say like, I'm a a male with healthy testosterone levels and I've been training for 10 years, trying my hardest to get as big as humanly possible. And I'm still not that big. Like I'm just like a normal guy with a shirt on. (laughs) So (laughs) you're going to be fine. Trust me. Exactly. Like you're going to be fine ladies. Trust me. But, um, and that kind of puts it in a frame for them. And if they're like, I don't know, like, you know, I've seen women, I'm like, Hey, like this is the reality, you know, like the women you see are either doing this or they're on drugs. If they're in a competitive scenario, um, this is what's going to happen. Here's some examples of clients I've worked with. Here's, here's what reality is. And, then they can kind of start piecing two to two together. But I think the ultimate answer is really like explaining and educating them. Like you need to build muscle during or before or after the process of fat loss, because that's the only way you're going to look how you think that weight is going to look on you. Um, And you need to be more focused on what you see in the mirror and what you're doing in the gym than you do on the scale. Yep. I think that's a huge point. I think the recognition of it doesn't necessarily matter if we do it right now or if we do it after a, a cut or, or like, the body that you likely want has both more muscle and less fat than you do right now, especially if you're already like relatively lean, maybe in that skinny fat zone. It's like, okay, like at some point before, during, after a cut, we are going to have to focus on building muscle. I don't just mean focus by lifting. I mean, focus by eating more and intentionally gaining some weight before, you know, if you want to returning back to a lower body weight and revealing that muscle. But this recognition of from point A, which is where you are, to point B, which is the physique you're looking for, the feel you're looking for, the look you're looking for, um, is probably a muscle building phase in a small surplus or at the very least, you know, flirting with the upper end of your maintenance for quite some time and having a proper yeah. proper training program and hitting your protein consistently. Like there has to be, you're not just going to cut your way to the body you want. It's just not, that's just not how it works. And no. if you do, 
you're going to end up with this scenario of like, man, should I just keep losing weight? If I just keep losing fat, will it eventually, my muscles will just pop? Like, no, you don't have them. Like, we need to spend some time building yeah. muscle before re- yeah. returning back. So, and that's, a, and that's yeah. a hard conversation to have with some for some coaches, you know what I mean? And I think that for for the gen pop person listening, male or female, but I would say especially female, the gen pop average female that comes to us, I, I will tell them like, hey, you're going to see recomposition because you've never really lifted weights like this and you haven't dieted properly. Like you've probably dieted, but you haven't periodized and, and followed macros and had maintenance phases built in and stuff. So we're not, we might not even need a muscle building phase for a while, but you are going to see this change and it's going to be great for you because you're so new to the stimulus of training. Um, but I think it's, it's a hard conversation for a coach to have. Cause I've had this conversation multiple times where I take somebody through a cut and they're like, um, I don't know, like I thought this number, but I think maybe like five more pounds. And I'm like, Hey, like let's jump on a call. Like, I think I have some ideas and I just have to like, tell them like, Hey, I actually don't think you should lose any more weight. And I don't think you're going to be happier with more weight loss. I think you need to reverse. We're going to build muscle for six months and then you should cut again because you don't have enough muscle on your frame yet to get to where you want to be. And if you say that in an approach that's respectful, you're nice, you're really just trying to educate them. It always goes well. Um, but that can be a hard conversation for people to have, you know, because you have to tell people like, Hey, you're not going to get there doing that. You need to build muscle. Um, and, and it's actually something that we've really tried to do at our company. Um, partially we just did it with Caroline as an example. Like I remember when she first started co- uh, coaching under me, I was like, you should, you know, s- stop doing CrossFit completely and start bodybuilding and go into a surplus and try to gain weight. And she was like, what? I was like, just trust me. And she gained like 11 pounds. It's either 10 or 11 pounds, like a lot of weight, but she looked great. And then now she's an IFBB bikini pro and she like loves the sport of bodybuilding stuff. So it's like, and women will ask her advice. And it's like, she lifts six days a week. <laughs> like she is purposely trying to build muscle. Like, and she's not jacked. She's a bikini competitor. So I think that people really just need those examples. And, and we've written blogs, we've done podcasts on like the female guide to muscle growth and stuff like that. And it just helps to educate women more and more and more about how important muscle is. And, and I mean, obviously it's important for guys, but you never have to like convince a guy to build muscle. Usually you have to be like, Hey dude, you got to lose some fat. <laughs> you know what I mean? You got to start sure. cutting. But, and um, for a business that I'm, I don't know about you, but the distribution of your clients that are male versus female, I certainly find myself having the build muscle chat quite a bit more often. Oh yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. So you have coaches that work under you. Yep. I do. How, how many? I want I guess to say just in a ballpark, like a couple, yeah, uh, seven, I think we have eight, including me now. Um, but we have 11, 11 or 12 people on our team total. So, so I'm going to pivot off of goal setting for a second, ask a couple questions about that. Just from like a man, if for anybody out there who has a business and, and who wants to understand that they're not going to be able to do it all themselves, like there's going to be, have to be a point where you duplicate yourself and you you're able to disseminate that information to people beneath you. And first step to actually disseminating your coaching philosophy is to have a coaching philosophy and to put together some of your beliefs and those core, those core values. Like what are some of the things that, what are some of the pillars in your teaching when it comes to improving coaches and building a coach up from underneath you so that they're aligned with what you're doing? Yeah, I think I had a a pretty good realization when I brought on my assistant, she was the first person I hired and it was this, I wasn't a hundred percent sure if I wanted to build a huge team yet. Um, but I know I needed help and I just was, burnt out, was working with too many people, was unorganized. And she came on board. And and one of the things she said to me that really like struck a chord was basically like, none of this shit makes sense. (laughs) Like what you're doing is chaotic. And I don't, I literally don't understand any of this. And I was like, it makes complete sense. What are you talking about? It's awesome. This works. She's like, it works to you. Like, so we got to figure something out. So she helped me organize things. And then it was like, 
okay, that made me realize, well, shit, I know how to prescribe nutrition. I know how to coach. I know how to communicate. I know how to train. I know how to program design. But do I know how to teach what I do? Do I have a system around what I do? Or do I just intuitively know how to do it because I've been doing it for so long? And the latter was the answer. So I started really kind of pulling back and dialing in my systems. Um, and that's where, honestly, the, the tailored coaching method came from. It's, it, it really is a method of how we go about things. There are certain principles that never change. There are certain methods that do. There is a, a lot of specific strategies that we use when things come up. Like we have this way of doing it. And I built a system around every aspect of it to where I could teach somebody and then I could oversee them and guide them to do it. And then I could trust that they were doing it my way. And, and my goal with it wasn't that my way is the best way because we have regular meetings and I'll open the floor and be like, Hey, does anybody have any ideas of how our trackers can improve? Our communication can improve. Our updates can improve. Our portal can improve. Like, give me your feedback and we'll pull ideas from the team. And I'm like, we're going to implement that. And sometimes it, it means I have to invest and hire people to design it or whatever, but we do that because I, I'm not the best in the world. I just, I'm, I'm a integrate. I'm like a, I'm a visionary. I'm, I'm somebody, I'm not necessarily an integrator. I'm somebody who creates, right. I, that's why I am where I am. Um, but I started creating these systems and I, and I basically was able to teach it. And then once I taught it to one person, I knew that anybody who applied, they could trust that they're going to get the same service, whether they work directly with me or one of my coaches. And that's still to, true. Right. Um, and, and I've been slow with scaling because, you know, if I just accepted applications and was like, yeah, let's just come on because if I have more coaches, I can take more clients and we can just make more money. Our coaching quality would, would suffer. So there's a pretty rigorous process to, to be a coach with us. There's a, a three month internship. That's very interactive. You have to read a lot of books. You have to watch a lot of videos. Um, you have to go through a lot of case studies. You have to do a lot of calls and meetings with myself and my head coach. There's a whole process. And then once you actually start working with people, you have like a beta period where you're being overseen by me to make sure you're doing the right thing. So like the regulation process is just so on point that we know everybody's going to be top notch. And I think that it, it's, it's become like a passion of mine of like trying to develop the coaches. Like, and I almost love it more than coaching people in general now, because, you know, like I, I basically had to make a decision at, at one point and was like, do I want to just like, do high ticket sales and, and like, you know, build this up and get to a point where it's just me, but people are paying more money and I'm giving more service or whatever it may be. Or do I want to like create a team and impact literally a hundred times more people? Cause I know people that have really successful businesses and it's just them and an assistant and that's how they want it. But they charge really high price. They do a lot more and they don't want to like build this huge business. I've always been in the mindset of like, like I want to build an empire. And to me, it's like, you can't do that shit alone. There's just, there's just no way. And the reason our business runs so well is because I delegate so many things to everybody that it allows everybody to be doing a lot and contributing a lot. And then we grow a lot because of it. Um, does that make sense? I don't know if I completely even answered your question, but. <laughs> well, the question was, what are some of those pillars that you find that you're teaching uh, within to, to the, your up and coming coaching? And you said, it, you said a little bit of, uh, there's a rigorous process of educate from an education standpoint. Yeah. And but what are some of those, maybe, maybe some of those things that you know that you guys do better than anybody else or slightly different than other people. Um, things that you, when, when I ask you what's tailored coaching all about, like you say, okay, yeah. this, this is what we're about. We have, we all have, uh, like we have a set of core values that we've created as a team. Um, and, and really those are our pillars and they actually go into the education. So even, even on the, the book reading, we're, we're not just reading nutrition books, but like core value number one is education. Like everybody has to be studying or doing a cert. I help fund a lot of this, but like you're doing a certification, you're doing a course, you're doing a workshop, you read a book, you're, you are doing something to improve your training and nutrition knowledge. 
no matter what, 24 seven, like, it's just, this just is just what you do. And that's one of the things I look for is like, I want coaches who are so passionate about this stuff that they won't put the book down, right? Like I'm to this day, I'm still reading training and nutrition literature and, and stuff as I'm taking on less clients. So arguably people get a really experience and like, Oh, I'm, I'm at a point where I don't need to. And it's like, no, man, like you should always sharpen the blade because there's always new research coming out. Um, so that's number one. It's like education, right? Number two is connection. Like you have to be able to connect to people on a deeper level than just counting reps and tracking macros. Like it just, people go through real shit. And even going back to like goal setting, I don't care what your weight, it, like the weight you want to achieve is, or the, the best macro ratio for you. There's going to be so many things that come up that have nothing to do with training and nutrition that are holding you back that I need to be able to hold a conversation with you around. And I need to be able to like build that trust in you. Right. Which is another one of our core values is trust. Like how are you building trust in your clients, which also is connection, right? So we want to be really loyal and trustworthy people. So they feel like they can confide in us. So we actually, in the internship, we actually take them through these different books of like reading on training, reading on nutrition, reading on connecting with other human beings and communication. And, um, I even recommend coaches read the five love languages because it'll teach you so much about how to talk to your clients too, and what they want. Um, it helps your marriage too, but it's, it's, and that's what it's meant for, but it helps with your clients as well. Um, and then the other one is just personal growth. Like I, I want to make sure that everybody has a growth mindset, you know? Um, and if we can have all these, these things kind of broken down where like education and growth mindset is in there, connection and trust is in there. Like when we have these pillars set up, it's easy for me to decide what they need to learn, what they need to read, how I need to hold them accountable. Um, I set 90 day targets with my coaches pretty often and we get on calls every, I'm on a call with at least a few of my coaches every single week. So like we cycle every couple of weeks, they're talking to me and then every couple of weeks we have meetings, but it's like constantly communicating with them on what they need, how they're doing, what they want to learn more of, and just making sure that they're being pushed to grow. Um, but I would say those are the, the biggest pillars. And, and even for like people listening, I think honestly, the biggest pillars are really like the education, and the connection. Like those are the two biggest things. Like if you or your coaches aren't able to connect on a deep level and have the education at high enough level to not only get a result, but teach the person they're working with how to do it themselves eventually, then you're not in the right place. Know your shit and give a shit. Like yep. for sure. Definitely. That's it. Yeah. Um, that's awesome. I love that. I think that that I, we talked again about like setting yourself apart in a saturated industry. I think right there you you become the 1% just by giving a fuck and, yeah. and knowing your stuff. Um, and that's how I, set myself apart in my personal training in-person business was like very clearly the person in the room who really, really, really cared. Um, and was also working tirelessly to make sure I was up to speed on current research and current trends and nuance and not, not just like regurgitating bullshit that I heard. So I definitely resonate with that. It makes a ton of sense. Um, yeah. what is something that young Cody, young coach Cody just fucked up that you look back and you're like, man, like I, if I could shake you right now, I would one of the biggest things that comes to mind is, is, I mean, one thing is definitely patience. I, I definitely struggled with patience at first. Like I set the big goal, the patient goal as a coach, like a, as a coach mm -hmm. uh, for my business, for my body, for everything. And weekly it was a battle. Cause I was just, I've always been an impatient person, which I think is a double edged sword. Uh, my impatience uh, kind of fuels my action because I don't wait for anything. <laughs> like if I have an idea, I'm going to do it by this afternoon. Um, sometimes that's 
good. Sometimes that's not so good because being impatient can bite you in the ass, but that was a big problem. But I, I would say like from a coaching perspective, the biggest problem was um, kind of assuming a one size fits all approach. Now, like an example of this, I can remember the first time I tried intermittent fasting and this is probably seven or eight years now. Like it was before intermittent fasting was like even popular. It was like, but we're doing the warrior diet essentially. Like yep. you basically fast all day and then you have like a little snack lift and then just have a feast at night. I got ripped and it was like, man, I love this because I got to go to school in the morning. So I just drink coffee and I can just cruise through school. I have like uh, a little snack and, or like I, I train people after that in my internship, then I have a snack and then, uh, and then I lift and then I go home at like 10 PM and I just have this massive fucking meal and I love it. And it's fun. I can just feast at night. And this is, this is it. Like there's science to back it up, which we know isn't really true anymore. It's just helping you create a calorie deficit, but I think everything boils back down to a calorie deficit really. But, um, which almost makes you not enjoy research as much because you know every it's not magic. Yeah, every yeah. rabbit hole you go you're down like, with. You're like, how did research. how did this intervention cause a calorie deficit? <laughs> like, like exactly. it's not like how, what wand was waved. It's like how did this intervention actually just cause a calorie deficit? That's it. Yeah. So, uh, but back then I thought there was a wand being waved and magic was happening. So um, naturally, I put every single one of my clients on intermittent yep. fasting protocol because it works and it's it's the best strategy and it was easy on my schedule. It got me ripped. Why wouldn't they want to do it? Um, and it was a, a very, very low success rate. Like <laughs> a lot of people were burning out. They didn't feel good in the gym. Uh, they kept fucking up the diet. And I was like, what is going on? This doesn't make sense. And that's when I started kind of thinking like, maybe everybody needs a different approach. Right. And that's when I started really diving into like the individualized or the tailored look, um, for training and nutrition. Um, but yeah, I think, I think, and I think a lot of coaches do that. You, you have this like shiny object syndrome, right? You, you read a new paper or a new blog, or you hear one of your favorite podcasters talk about a specific topic. And, uh, then all of a sudden you're, you're trying to put that onto everybody. And the problem with that is that everybody is different, right? Everybody can't follow the same approach. And, you know, the good podcasters giving you the good advice are like, doing what we just said, like everything is just a calorie deficit. So what's the best way for you to find that calorie deficit? Right. And, uh, if you can listen to people like it's it, say that it's, it's very boring and repetitive and it's not what you want to hear, but it's the truth. So, um, yeah, that's probably the biggest mistake I made though. Besides the, the patience thing is just, just thinking one size fits all. Yep. I, um, I had, uh, you know, I, well, I'm going to ask you if, uh, my final question in a second, but, uh, for me, it was in-person training, learning about like the first time I, I read like a, like a Dan John, uh, like fundamentals. And I, I started putting everybody through very similar programming, very similar. And, and, you know, everyone was deadlifting. Everyone was doing explosive athletic training. Everyone was doing this like crazy functional hybrid. And I, I, I just like blinked and I was like, I looked at who I was training. And I was like, this person fucking hates this. We can recreate this exercise in a way safer, more effective manner. Like this person's not coming back. Um, yeah. and, and, and then, you know, it's just a matter of, you don't know enough then, like all you know is that thing you haven't heard the counterpoint and then other counterpoint and the nine other counterpoints. And you just yeah. know this thing and you're like, oh, intermittent fasting, but you didn't hear the other 10 people who are like, Hey, it's just a calorie deficit. Like you heard this one thing and you're like, okay, like, great. That's it. But you haven't gotten to the point. It's like the Dunning Kruger effect. Like you haven't gotten to the point where you know so much that you realize none of these things are the be all end all. Yeah. hundred percent. I think, and it's funny cause I went through like a, I call it a Dan John phase where I just like simplified everything, but like you go through a phase where like the functional movement, like everything had to be complex and add some, everyone's doing FMS. Yeah. Yeah. FMS everything. Yeah. And 
Um, I even have people do that. Like, do you use FMS to assess your clients? I'm like, no. Do you have any client that can just do an FMS <laughs> on their own? Right? Of it? Like, yeah. what the fuck? No. Yeah. I, I dumb it down tremendously for an assessment online. But um, but I remember going from like that complexity and over complexity and then going, no, everybody just needs to like squat and carry shit. And it was just like, everybody's on the squat and carry Dan yep. John Pro. Like, and, uh, and some people were like, I fucking love this. But I think, at, and some people hated it. I think at the end of the day, what it comes down to is consistency and effort. Like a lot of people are like, well, as long as your volume's there, it's like even before that, like effort, are you, are you placing tension on the muscle? Are you progressively overloading? Are you pushing the calorie expenditure? All those things just relate to how hard are you going? Like your effort in the gym and your enthusiasm to work. And then can you do it consistently? Because the consistency part is really like, okay, we got to find a method that allows that effort to happen consistently. Right. And so for some people it is the squat and carry method. And some people it's the, you know, high volume, high frequency bodybuilding program that like alternates movement patterns every few weeks because they just need so much variation. So you got to learn how to read the client and then you can kind of determine that, you know. For sure. So in the nature, we're coming up on time here. So in the nature, in the spirit of the name of the podcast, where optimal meets practical, I think that's definitely something that you would agree you abide by. It's like, okay, we understand what's optimal on paper versus, you know, what might be practical to, for the individual. I'm going to put you a little bit on the spot here as the last question of the day is what is something that might be optimal on paper that you find not to be entirely practical, at least to, to a significant number of people. And and then a quick example would be for me, I certainly find that what might be physiologically optimal, maybe counting all the macros might give you a slight edge over counting just calories and protein, but that, that overwhelming amount of practicality for a lot of people just counting calories and protein pushes that up a notch in terms of like uh, tools in the toolkit. So for me, that's definitely something where I find like what might be optimal is like, okay, we need to count every gram of every macro versus what might be most practical would be counting just the calories and protein. So something like that. That's a really, really good example. Um, <laughs> to what I was going to say, but I mean, you can even take that further too. And, and I don't know if it's, it's necessarily optimal versus practical, but you know, there's people that are like their, their macro is they have to hit 205 grams carbs a day and they hit 200 like when i see 205 205 205 on a tracker i'm like hey something's going on like either a you're bullshitting me or two you're being way too anal yeah. about that and i always use the example of like a chicken breast like a chicken breast an average four ounce chicken breast 26 grams of protein so you're telling me that every single chicken has the same amount of muscle and fat on their body which means every single four ounce chicken breast is the exact same macro like no there's no way and we don't even know if it's really 26 could be 25 could be 23 it's all an estimate. So like, I think for most people, like optimal versus practical, practical is like optimal is having exact macros to work with. And practical is, is the range that you actually sit in when you're tracking those things. You know yep. what I mean? So, um, which is kind of like what you said, but that's kind of how my mind worked with that yeah, one. That's one, that's uh, one level further of like, instead of using exact numbers, like having a range and, and not yeah. obsessing over being directly on that exact number. So I, I would say, you know, there's a couple that come up to mind too with like, uh, like percentage-based training sometimes looks great on paper. It's not practical because if like, I, I don't know if you've ever ran a five, three, one program, but I remember when that came out and like, it was like, Oh, well, I got to hit 95% today. And like, I didn't sleep, had a long day of school. Like I'm just not feeling it, but I got to hit 95% of my one rep max. And then I hurt my back and totally. I'm like, <laughs> again, yep. so I think using like 
optimal is percentage-based training. Practical is using RIR and RPE, right? Like, and then you can kind of meet in the middle of like, okay, I'm supposed to hit 95%, which is about a nine RPE, but today my nine RPE is not 95%. It's like 85%. So I'm just gonna go with that. And it's just the effort that I'm after. Um, so that's a really good example as well. Um, and I would even go as far as to say like periodization, like there's a, there's an optimal versus practical, like where people get too OCD about periodization and you know, like there was even a study where they uh, changed the exercise every single week of like all the accessory lifts and they got the same results as the people who did the same thing every single time. Uh, but, it, but it was the same movement pattern. So if it was a horizontal push, it's a horizontal push. So that's kind of like there. Like if I have a client who gets bored easy, hey, we're just doing a horizontal push for eight to 10 reps. You pick it. Yep. Every week you can change it. But like that's more on the practical side than the optimal. And I think in the middle is kind of like, okay, your compound lift, I want you to do that exact lift no matter what progressively overload but your accessory lifts keep the moving pattern change the variations change your grip do whatever that's practical that's awesome those are two really good ones i love the one i love going from people who have tracked people come to me who have tracked all the macros to the, an exact number like within one macro and then go to either just doing that with a range or go to calories and protein with a range it's like holy shit this is so much more yeah. practical so much more i can so much more sustainable i can do this for such a long period of time so yeah that's a really yeah. good one yeah for sure all right dude it's a pleasure having you on i know my, my my peeps are gonna love it and um why don't you let everybody know where they can find you if they don't already yeah, everything's at tailoredcoachingmethod.com. Um, you can basically find everything. I'm on Instagram a lot, at cody.boomboom. But, I mean, the podcast, the Boom Performance Podcast, Instagram, YouTube, blog, all that kind of stuff that we give for free, it's all on the website. Um, so tailoredcoachingmethod.com is probably the best place to find me. All right, dude, it's a pleasure. Thanks for listening, guys. I will see you guys in the next episode. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Where Optimal Meets Practical. If you enjoyed it, if you found value, do me a favor and take a screenshot of your phone and post it to your social media. If you do, tag me so I can say thanks. If you ever want to get in touch with me, you can reach me at Jordan Lips Fitness on Instagram, or you can email me, jordanlips at jordanlipsfitness.com, or check out the website, jordanlipsfitness.com. I'd love to chat. Have a great day.